0: A groundswell of Republicans has dramatically shifted the political landscape in South Florida. It's the shift here to stay? Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Danny Rivero. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis won re-election this week in a major landslide victory. The governor's race in deep red Oklahoma was more competitive than Florida. A huge part of DeSantis' victory is thanks to Republicans flipping Miami-Dade County red for the first time in 20 years. How did they do it? Does the Democratic Party have a future in Florida after a Republican sweep in the state up and down the ballot? Also on the South Florida Roundup, we'll talk about how local government ballot referendums played out for things like affordable housing and education. All that and more on the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Danny Rivero, and welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. The story of Republican electoral power in Miami-Dade County, it's a story that evokes a famous quote from Ernest Hemingway's "The Sun Also Rises. It's a power that showed itself gradually and then suddenly. A Republican had not won Miami-Dade County in the governor's election since Jeb Bush ran for governor in 2002. And that changed big time as Republican Ron DeSantis won the county by about 11 points after losing the county by 20 points just four years ago. The political shift has been building for years, and it has huge ramifications for politics in Florida and locally in Miami-Dade County now that it's here. If it can stick, of course. Joining us now to talk about how this shift happened and what it means for South Florida is Armando Ibarra. He, he's the president of the Miami Young Republicans. Armando, thanks for coming on.
1: It's a pleasure to be here with you and your audience today. Happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there, too, by the way. Um, so Ar- Armando, first thing, big picture. A lot of people might have looked at the numbers coming in on election night and found themselves in a state of shock of what was happening in Miami-Dade County with it turning red. Um, but I know that this has been a long term project that that you and your group and other groups have embarked on. Can you give us a little bit of insight into the groundwork that went into creating this political realignment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you use the exact right term. It's a political realignment that we've seen in Miami-Dade County. And a big part of that success is due to our governor, Ron DeSantis, who who has put forth an agenda on uh, during the pandemic, has put on an agenda uh, against uh, cult- the cultural excesses of the left. And he's been rewarded for that. Not, not just by voters across the state, but in particular by many Latino voters um, here in Miami-Dade County and also across the state. For example, he won a majority of Puerto Rican voters in the state in this election. Um, and I think that was a big part of it. The second big part of this political realignment is is a testament to organization. It's a testament to strategy that the Republican Party of Florida has had over the last half decade or so, but also over the last six years, the work that we've done from the Miami Young Republicans. uh, We believe in the long game. Not only uh, we believe that more important than investing in TV ads and in any particular election is to invest in the outreach and the engagement and the grassroots effort that builds thriving and uh, uh, communities of people that uh, work together to achieve uh, you know the type of change in their community that they want to see, right? And we've and I, done that. I
0: I, I, I do want to just ask you because I know a lot of the, and it, maybe you're about to get into it, but a lot of the the work that you all have been engaging in has been on policy issues that are not necessarily directly tied to elections. Um, you you all have have been pretty involved. I mean, one thing I'm thinking of is, um, the pressure you put on. Shutting down the Chinese Communist Party-affiliated Confucius Institutes in the state, um, and other issues which are not, you know, just election year issues. Um, how Absolutely, much is that? How, yeah. how much has that been the strategy? So,
1: so you know, what we've done in that in that case you're referring in 2019, we led the charge to shut down the Confucius Institute and to ban Chinese state-sponsored companies from participating in a that billion-dollar monorail uh, deal that was being investigated at the time. It just and the got, reason that,
0: just for our audience that 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 monorail plan just got gutted just l- last week. But sorry. Correct. Conti- continue. And
1: so, you know, what's really important is that our community, we have more than a million people in our community that escape from communist and socialist uh, systems. And so they uh, they really uh, believe strongly in fighting back against the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, that really resonated with our members, and part of the strategy is, is is not only to advocate for issues, but it's to involve our community so that they can lend their voice and they feel involved in that civic process. And we had thousands of our members and supporters send letters to elected officials calling for shutting down the Confucius Institute, calling for banning Chinese state-sponsored companies from multi-billion-dollar transit deals. And so that component of involving our community in this process it more uh, galvanizes them to support us. It it makes them uh, more aligned with us. It, it, it makes us, you know, that collaboration is key to creating these long-term relationships so they know that their home is the Republican Party. Another example was earlier this year, um, we spearheaded advocacy for the victims of communism bill, which the governor signed this past May. Uh, and that bill called for uh, commemorating November 7th every year as victims of communism day, but also for uh, it required schools to teach a curriculum um, on the crimes and victims of communism around the world uh, in history, and so that's very important to so many people in our community who suffered so much, and they want the the next generation to know this history of the crimes and the victims of communism, so that. It's not repeated anywhere in the world, and so that's very – so we've led on issues, and in that way, we've been able to communicate, build this this really great relationship with thousands and thousands of people around the community and really help drive the direction. But in addition, um, a big part of our success is also in electing our members to office, and in the last six years, we've elected 19 young Republicans to office in Miami-Dade County. I think it's the most of any region in America – and it shows that when you engage in and and, issue...
0: and and just uh, to be clear, when like what kind of officials are those? Is that like municipal council members, commissioners, things like that, in, in addition to the kind of the big ticket names?
1: Correct. We're talking about uh, city councilmen, city mayors. Um, mm-hmm. We just uh, helped to elect a young Republican as a, a county commissioner, Kevin Cabrera. Uh, we're talking about state representatives, a state senator. Uh, 19 in total in the past six years. And I think that it goes to show that uh, we can, uh, as a community, uh, have young people leading the charge, and really uh, the next generation, Uh, You know, emerging as leaders. And I think what we've done here is a model that can be replicated around the nation, because I think what's very important is for the next generation to be able to emerge and take leadership roles um, and and be able to lead our country in in this new century. And so and and, um, um,
0: (laughs) sorry, the so the the non party affiliated voters still outnumber Republicans in Miami Dade County. I don't know how many people know that, but Republicans actually come third in the county in terms of voter registration. So one of the things that's really remarkable about this flip that we just saw in in this week's election was that it was not really apparent on paper. Uh, um, obviously, a lot of work went into courting those independent voters and swinging them in the direction of Republicans instead of Democrats. Um, h- how, how did you all go about it?
1: So I think there there are a few themes. Um, first is that the economy still matters and a lot of people are concerned about inflation. They're concerned about a decelerating economy and, and a lot of people feel like this. Uh, the, this administration has not been the best steward of the economy. And I think that's part of it. I think a second part of it is that um, Hispanic voters I believe of all ages, um, are, are not as far to the left as a large part of the Democratic Party has gone. And so in many regards, I feel like the Democratic Party has become too extremist for Hispanic voters. Now, why do I say that? When you poll Hispanic voters, a very big chunk of them consider themselves, they self-identify as conservative, but historically half of those voted Democrats. And now many of those self-identified conservative hispanic voters that voted democrat are coming home to the republican party they're coming home to the republican party because the democratic party has gone too far to the left on both economic and cultural issues but also i think large part because um the more that cultural issues are in the forefront um I believe that they are alienated by some of the cultural excesses of the left. And so we see many of them going to the Republican Party as a, because they see the Republican Party as opposing some of these excesses culturally of the left.
0: This is the South Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero, and we're talking about how Republicans flipped Miami Dade County red for the first time in 20 years. And we're talking with Armando Ibarra, the president of the group Miami Young Republicans. Um. Armando, I, w- I want to ask you because you were just talking about excesses of the left um, in terms of extremism. Uh, on the flip side of that, some people might have expected well-known connections between the Republican Party and groups like the Proud Boys and the, the January 6th insurrection, including connections that we know of locally. Some people might have expected that to have a negative impact on the party in South Florida. How did all of that reporting about those connections and those connections themselves have any impact when you were actually out canvassing and talking to voters?
1: Yeah, well, I, I would say that, you know, every I think every side has its fringe elements. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, our our party is not about the Proud Boys. We're a party that um, is very diverse With many different types of people and 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 they're a very 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 small fringe part of that um our members young republicans are knocking on doors going you know we we've made tens of thousands of, of of voter contacts in person this year we made hundreds of thousands over the phone and i think that it's that type of work knocking on doors doing outreach that actually wins elections and i think that Um, you know, stuff related to the Proud Boys and groups like that are a sideshow and they're not really central to the success that we saw, which was one, one based on organizing and one based on doing the work. And also that one based on what I think has been the historic leadership of Governor DeSantis, who through the pandemic kept us more open, fought against vaccine mandates, uh, fought against some excessive rules on masking and other things and I think his approach to COVID, it broke across party lines and it earned the support of many independents, of many Democrats, uh, who despite their prior affiliation with you know political affiliation, crossed the you know, crossed the line to, to, to cross uh, you know, crossed the line to, to vote for Governor DeSantis because of his leadership in the pandemic. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think our success has been his leadership, our organization of the party. Um, and not, you know, the 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 actions of, of fringe groups that don't, you know, aren't really central to our success. Well,
0: when we look across the country, the red wave that was broadly anticipated and, and you know, preemptively broadcasted, um, we did not really see that happen in other places. But in Florida, of course, it definitely did happen you know the the in the legislature uh the republican party now has a super majority in both houses we're still waiting to see how it all folds unfolds with the u.s house and the senate um what explains florida being such an outlier when it comes to the huge successes of the republican party here And you didn't we didn't see those same kind of successes replicated in other parts of the country like what what makes us stand apart.
1: So so I think Florida right now is the model for the nation in governance and politics. And we're ahead of the curve. And so, you know, I think that what the movement that we're building here in Florida is going to expand across the country. We're leading the way, I think, with the lessons that we've learned, the work that we've done here in the state, we can replicate it in other parts of the country and. We, that's why we see, for example, that we had a huge shift to the right amongst Latino and Hispanic voters in Florida. We also saw a shift to the right among Latinos and Hispanic across the country. Right, for, They went from you know, a Democratic advantage of 40 points to a Democratic advantage of only 20 points. So it went from a 70-30 to a 60-40 outside of Florida. And Florida obviously won a, a strong majority of Hispanic voters. And so I think we're leading the way. We're going to see these type of gains that we saw in Florida this year. We're going to see them in twenty twenty four in the rest of the country, especially as we replicate our efforts, our best practices and, and lessons learned here in Florida all around in other states.
0: And so so a, a big part of the you know, my Miami Young Republican success and the Republican Party success in South Florida, Miami Dade County in particular, is because of the voting patterns that have shifted with with Cuban Americans. Um, The the newest poll released by Florida International University shows very strong Cuban-American support for Republicans. But the group that most favors Democrats among Cuban um, and Cuban-Americans are the most recent arrivals, people who might have recently crossed the border and just got here into the community thanks to President Biden's border policies. Um, My question for you is I'm actually wondering Are you all doing outreach with this new, really historic wave of new Cuban arrivals that we're seeing right now to convince them that Republicans are the way to go? And I'm asking it because, you know, within a decade or so, we're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands of new potential Cuban American voters here.
1: Oh, 100% we're, we're doing outreach. And, and I will actually tell you that during the 2020 Trump election, One of the strongest demographics supporting President Trump were a a wave of more recent Cuban immigrant arrivals. And um, I think they led the way in registering, you know, tens of thousands of additional voters in the county in a short period of time who were specifically this group. We have to look to the success of people like Alex Otaola, who has galvanized uh, hundreds of thousands of people into a community that's politically active. And aware of what's going on politically in their community, and so you know, uh, I would have to take a look at that specific poll, but I can tell you that we specifically saw that that demographic of voter as a uh, a, a huge asset during the 2020 election, and and they were uh, coming towards us in droves. We had tens of thousands of them that came to our offices to register to vote. So my my belief is that. Uh, the more as as more cuban or venezuelan immigrants come to our community these are going these are going to be center-right voters who are going to vote because they want to see freedom in cuba they want to see freedom here in the united states they don't want us to replicate uh, policies that have failed elsewhere and the backbone of the future of the republican party are uh, latino immigrants from all around latin america who lean to the right and i think You know, as a as a point of reference to that, we can look to the election results uh, where Colombian Americans voted, for example, in the Colombian election or Brazilian Americans voted in the Brazilian election and the Colombian Brazilian diasporas in the United States lean to the right. The Republicans now win them and we win them. And I think in part because those communities rightfully identify the Republican Party as uh, the one that supports the candidates that they support in their countries. And um, they see the Democratic Party as the party that supports people like Petro and Colombia, or they see them as the party that supports Lula in Brazil. And that's why many of them are going to, I, I believe, punish the Democratic Party and reward the Republican Party for our, our policies in this regard.
0: So my, my last question for you is um, maybe a big one, but um, so... The election just passed, and I hate to be that guy, but this shift that we just saw in Miami-Dade County could have really big ramifications for important races we have locally in 2024, Um, not to mention the presidential election, of course, especially if DeSantis is at the top of the ticket, which he might be. But if this momentum holds in Miami-Dade County looks like it is a red county now, what are the implications republican voting power in 2024 when we're going to have a county mayoral race we're going to have a sheriff's election for the first time since the 60s other important races i mean how how are you looking at that
1: well i think the results were were so strong for republicans that they upended the 2024 races Um, i think that as many uh, republican leaders around our community uh, look at these races they see them as races that now can be won and maybe are even you know, likely Republican pickups, and so we we we've heard of many people who are starting to look at this. We're talking about the race for the county mayor, as well as the race for tax collector, for election supervisor, for sheriff. Um, and so, you know, it's been such a major change from when these positions. Um, You know, when when the uh, our our state constitution was changed to require elections in these constitutions. Right. That, you know, just a few years ago, these were considered very safe Democratic pickups because the county voted 2016, 29 points in favor of Hillary Clinton. Right. In 2018, it was a little better for Republicans, but. This complete change in the dynamics electorally in the county now has to have a lot of people, you know, rethinking their prior assumptions, especially if uh, Governor DeSantis decides to run and is a nominee. We can see his performance here in 2022 as a sort of reference for how he would perform and how a candidate uh, backed by him would support, uh, would, would perform in the county in 2024.
0: Armando Ibarra is president of Miami Young Republicans. Armando, I want to thank you very much for coming on to talk to us.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you all.
0: Thank you. Still to come on the South Florida Roundup does the Democratic Party have a future in the state of Florida? Or was this election the end of the road? We'll be back in a minute. I'm Danny Rivero. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. It's been an embarrassing week for the Democratic Party in Florida, to put it mildly. Republicans flipped three major counties, Palm Beach, Osceola and Miami-Dade, making the map redder than it's been in a very long time. Governor Ron DeSantis won 62 of the state's 67 counties, leaving Democrat Charlie Crist with a majority in only five of them. It was a landslide i think we can agree but it didn't come as a surprise to a lot of people some some critics have been sounding the alarm that this was going to happen for a while now saying that democrats are not taking florida seriously and investing in voters here and we want to hear from our listeners on this segment you can reach us at 800-743-wlrn that's 800-743-9576 and you can also tweet us at wlrn Joining us now to talk about the state of the Democratic Party and the future of it in Florida, is Jose Barra. He's a Democratic strategist and the CEO of the communications firm Prospero Latino. Jose, thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you, Danny, for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. So, Jose, we've seen the National Democratic Party investing less and less in Florida over the last couple of years, Uh, given that. Was this historic loss this
2: week a surprise to you? It was the margins were what surprised me, the trend. I wasn't surprised at the trend, given given the patterns of uh, of investment and an organization that we had seen over the past uh, two years and going back actually to 2016.
0: And the the Florida Democratic Party to talk about the money for a second, Re- released a memo with some numbers on the money that was spent in the, in the state this, this time around. And it said that democratic groups spent just $1.35 million on this year's elections. And they spent about fifty nine million million four four years ago in the last governor's race. Uh, I mean, that is a major, major differential in, in four years time. Um, how much did that kind of, money and spending from Democratic aligned groups impact the margins that we were just talking about.
2: Uh, tremendously. I mean, there's no other way to uh, there's a saying in Spanish that you can not block the block, the sun with a finger. And um, and I think that's a clear indicator of what uh, what ails us down here. Uh, national Democrats, national donor, donors, donors to the Democratic Party. Um, Pretty much abandoned the state in favor of other states such as Arizona, the Midwest, Wisconsin, Michigan, and um, and put very little investment this time around. Um, and the other, it's it's a push and pull factor. So on the push on the push side, we didn't push enough. We didn't have the resources. And um, and on the on the pull factor side, you had uh, Republicans taking advantage of of the situation, and they did organize themselves quite well since 2016. Despite having a despite losing the county by 30 points, they doubled down and decided that they were going to invest and they had a permanent campaign down in in South Florida and and it paid off.
0: And, you know, you just mentioned the permanent campaign of the Republican Party down here. Um, I mean, and we just heard in the in the previous segment from from an organizer who was really at the that the vanguard of that i mean a lot of the messaging year after year after year election year or not is th- that of socialism and that of saying you know equating a lot of democratic policies with socialism which scares <laughs> a lot of people into in, into certain responses here in south florida i mean has have democrats just not been able to find a, a good res- an adequate response to that because it, that is a perennial you know always an attack and it seems to be landing
2: i think it all goes goes back to resources again if you can't if you are not communicating your message whatever the message is people obviously are not going to internalize it and um and that's the issue. for example you know the Race for District 27, you know, Aneta Leo was a perfect candidate. She was the, she was definitely the antithesis to she. She, you, you couldn't hold a candle to her on the socialism issue. Her personal story was compelling. Her, she fled Colombia, fleeing the FARC. Her father had been kidnapped by them, and yet uh, Mariel Vida and the Republican Party kept trying to paint her as a leftist, and um, and and you could see in commercials and and even in earned media the um, the the effects of or or the result of their organizing and especially in commercials you know there was the i think there were a couple of commercials from uh from the tadeo campaign um versus a barrage of publicity coming in by mail on on the airwaves and uh that obviously helped mariel carry her her lie because it's i mean you can't accuse annette of being a socialist by any by any stretch of the imagination quite the opposite and um uh, and and using those resources and and when you repeat something long enough it becomes you know in people's perceptions it becomes true and if you have the means to repeat it enough and people are hearing it everywhere it becomes a reality for them
0: uh, I, w- I want to go to a call now. We have Dan calling from Miami on the line. Dan, thanks for calling. You're, you're on.
3: Uh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my, pa- my, my parents were both uh, Cuban immigrants. They were here way before the revolution. Um, and as when they got married and when they were young adults, they were able to benefit from all of these policies, economic policies, labor policies, I've helped two people with uh, my, my dad with a sixth grade education, my mom with a high school education, to buy not one, but two homes that they still own today. <clears throat> All right. Apparently, to many of the elderly Cuban American, uh, Cuban exile community, uh, those policies were not socialism when it benefited them, but it's socialism now. And they, you know, the result is that people like me and their grandchildren, the Cuban exile community I'm talking about, is that what they benefited from then is socialism for us now, and we cannot benefit from it. And that is the complete and utter hypocrisy of the Cuban faction of the Republican Party. Uh, Not to mention the fact that, uh, I mean, the. Ron DeSantis, a successful governor, 80,000 dead of COVID, all right, as well as, you know, this this anti-woke law and the, uh, all the, the retaliation he took against uh, against uh, the Disney Corporation. Smells like fascism to me, but if that's what the Cuban-American community in Miami wants, let them rot in their own stew. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Ta- thank you for the call, Dan. And, um... Jose, I just want to address, or no, I suppose for the audience, to address one thing. Um, yeah, to Dan's point, the you know take the the income tax rates, the top rates, and the in the '60s were more than double what they are today, and that was not considered socialism by anyone at the time. But now, when people talk about you know raising the the top income tax rate even a few percent, that becomes socialism. Um. <laughs> Jose, I just want you to talk about that. That kind of dynamic. I mean, this is the the, the atmosphere that we're living in here. Well, I think.
2: With the uh, with the Hispanic community uh, in in South Florida, I think there is no I don't think I know it's still the case that they support um, policies that Republicans try to point to socialism. Obviously, when you talk to a, an elderly Cuban American about doing away with Medicare, um that's a non-starter but we have rick scott um our own senator proposing a plan that would potentially kill medicare and social security by putting them on the chopping block every five years and they support that there is just a, a large scale poll of the latino community of that that just came out that bsp research did Of in the days before the election uh, and uh, of act of vote, people who had voted early and people who were 100% intending to vote on November 8th. And policies in the American Rescue, I'm sorry, in the the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, like lowering the cost of drugs, of prescription drugs for seniors, lowering the cost of insulin, more than 90% of Hispanics in Florida support that. And let's remember that this is still the state that approved a 15 min, fifteen dollar minimum wage, that with more than sixty percent, um, that approved uh, the medical marijuana by more than sixty percent. Right. Yeah. To, I mean,
0: uh, to yeah. To your point, I mean, when they when a lot of ballot questions go directly to voters, voters in Florida do tend to vote for more democratic policies, while at the same time electing.
2: Republican candidates, correct? And that I'll, and it all goes back to the messaging and how you're framing the message to people and, and the resources that you're putting in, in into doing it. Um, you know, we, we I, I can't escape the fact that, you know, after twenty sixteen, the even though we had one Miami-Dade County, we we as a party, we as a, the donor class, the national donor class disappeared from Florida and um and that had an effect well again they stayed behind uh republicans stayed behind mounting an, an infrastructure where they were telling their story how they saw it fit and with very little pushback from our end um, very effective little effective pushback from our end and we've seen the results and the results is that you know we elected people who are voting and legislating against our interests
0: I'm Danny Rivero and we're speaking with Jose Parra. He's a democratic strategist at the CEO of the communications firm Prospero Latino. And we're talking about this week's midterm elections and the future of the the Florida Democratic Party. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. And on that note, we actually have a call coming in from Miami, Johnny. Uh, Johnny, you're on the South Florida Roundup. Thanks for calling.
4: Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, I would like to make a comment about the, them saying that the state flipping red. In my opinion, it did not flip red. It was made red by Ron DeSantis himself. The unlawful gerrymandering of the maps, the gentrification of black neighborhoods and Dade County. And the tactics that he used, the fear factor for arresting people and other things that he's done. And the uh, laws passed that's under the guise of protecting the election process, which really made it harder for people of color to vote.
0: Thank you. Thank you thank you, Johnny, for your call. Um Jose, I want I, I wanna let you address that and while also just adding that um you know, like how much was mere voter turnout a factor in the, in the scale of the, this election? I mean, we had a lot of legislative elections. We could talk about how the lines were drawn. But I mean, I take take heavily Democratic areas in black sections of North Miami-Dade County, for example, and the, the, the turnout was very low.
2: Yes, and and we saw that leading into into during the early vote period where Republicans were outpacing us even though in the previous cycles they had been uh, election day voters but they were outpacing us in the early in the early vote part of the of the electoral process and that obviously showed a a um, lack of enthusiasm among our base and you know my my mother, would tell me that she would be watching TV. And she's like, where are the Democrats? I don't see, I don't see their commercials. I don't see their advertising. Uh, whereas I see, you know, Marco Rubio all over, all over my TV screen and and, and Mariel Vida and, and Ron DeSantis. And when people see that or don't see that, that causes that feeling of, The they they feel that the party is not uh, doing its work, rightly or wrongly. Um, I felt, I felt, for example, that um, that uh, Manny Diaz was was working really hard, but he was working with little resources.
0: Manny Diaz, the 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 chair Uh, of the of the Florida Democratic Chairman
2: of the Florida Democratic Party. Right. And Um... uh, but with very little resources. And, you know, that that showed. And that depressed that depressed turnout. An An observation
0: I have that almost expands beyond politics, but which also directly impacts politics is that conservatives in Florida have almost created a culture that doubles as a social club and a political identity in itself. And you see that with a lot of grassroots organizing the caravans we see driving around town. The amount of people who turn up to almost any kind of public meeting, Um, it's basically become a counterculture that reinforces itself through politics and is now definitely the majority political culture. And I don't really see Democrats having an answer for that on the on the cultural front. Um, I mean, it's part of the problem for Florida Democrats that the actual culture of Florida has changed.
2: And Republicans have been working to do that. Um, for example, I was talking earlier today with uh, with another one of your colleagues in Spanish language radio, with Roberto Rodriguez Tejera. And one of the things that we were, that he brought up was that there's this organization, national organization called the Libre Initiative that's very active in the state of Florida. And they approach Hispanics, not just asking for their vote, but offering services like drivers license, you know, how to get a driver's license, how to apply for citizenship and help them study for the citizenship test. So they open the door to working with these communities. And then it's much easier to ask them for their vote and for the communities to actually sit sit and listen to the Republicans um, message. And it's internalized as a result. And we do not have an equivalent of the leader initiative nationwide and much less in the state of Florida.
0: Jose Parra is a Democratic strategist and the CEO of the communications firm Prospero Latino. Jose, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I much appreciate the time. Still to come
0: on the South Florida Roundup, we talk about how all those local government ballot referendums played out this week. And you can get in touch with us by calling 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. I'm Danny Rivero. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We continue today's program with more elections analysis and how the results of some of these races impact you. And for example, of some of the things that that passed, um, voters in Palm Beach County passed a $200 million plan to support affordable housing. Voters in Miami-Dade passed a tax hike to raise salaries for teachers. And of course, we're going to talk more about the political fallout from this week's landslide Republican victories up and down the ballot in Florida you can call us uh, to to join the conversation at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. You can tweet us at WLRN. Joining us now to talk about this is WLRN's America's editor, Tim Padgett, Um, and also WLRN's Palm Beach County reporter, Wilkin Brutus. Uh, welcome to the show, Tim and Wilkin. Hi, Danny. Hey, Danny. Um, Wilkin, let's start with you. Um, Palm Beach County was one of the three major counties that Republicans flipped in their favor this this cycle. Is that something you saw coming before Election Day?
5: Uh, there's obviously been a national conversation about a red wave that didn't quite materialize, but it definitely materialized in Palm Beach County. Danny, especially leading up to the election, there were definitely more on the ground mobilization for the Republican Party's days, even weeks leading up to the election. Um, And I had a strong feeling it would happen here, especially after covering a Governor Ron DeSantis rally in Boynton Beach a day before the election. um, a, A final push into our county Republican voters that I spoke to seemed far more energized. And I spoke to a Republican, uh, a Puerto Rican voter who said many of her Hispanic friends and Republican voters in Palm Beach County were campaigning on the economy, uh, governance, and small businesses over cultural wedge issues like abortion. And it sort of found success here as many people moved to the county precisely for business opportunities. And so even though Democrats tend to vote early, Republicans still had a major lead with in-person Election Day voting uh, on those issues alone.
0: And and and, and Wilkin, um, you know, I know you covered a lot of the the school board things that were that were going on in Palm Beach County over the last year or so. And, and Palm Beach County had some of the most active parents when it came to to, you know, conservative representation in some of those meetings. I mean, did some of those battles play into this flip?
5: It may have. I think there is a large immigrant group here that does lean conservative uh, or or, or traditional to say the least. And I think Republicans on the ground did a better job courting that specific demographic. And again, like I said earlier, a lot of folks are moving here for business so the diaspora here or sending remittances for example um found the 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 level by which the republicans were sending their message just far more enticing and so school board education is is a huge issue in most immigrant communities and so that was a huge huge uh a policy initiative that i think brought a lot of voters to the polls republican voters to the polls
0: and tim i want to bring you into this the the, the two other counties, in addition to Palm Beach, that Republicans flipped uh, this week were Osceola and Miami-Dade, both with pretty significant Latino populations. Mm-hmm. Osceola has a, has a lot of Puerto Ricans. Yeah. Um, is, uh, is it fair to say that Democrats have lost Latinos in Florida?
6: I don't know if they have lost Latinos in Florida, but they are definitely losing. Latinos in Florida. I mean, look, back in 2020, more than half of the Latino electorate in Florida went for Joe Biden. Just two years later, more than half the Latino electorate in Florida goes for Ron DeSantis. Now, I know for sure I've been covering Charlie Crist for almost 20 years, and I know that he's more popular in Florida than, than Joe Biden is. So uh, to see that, that quick of a flip uh, amongst the Latino electorate in Florida, especially after, for example, you had that controversy with Governor DeSantis and, and you know being accused of using Venezuelan asylum seekers as as props for his political stunt, you know, flying them up to Martha's Vineyard, et cetera. Um, to see that that none of that really mattered, um, that, that just shows you how badly the Democrats are losing Latinos in Florida, not just in, in Miami-Dade, but in Central Florida too, where they they have been very reliable for Democrats.
0: And one of the things, and I'll talk about the the race for the twenty seventh congressional district. Um, mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a close race. That's uh, yes, what we me, thought. Me and you were at the the watch parties, and we thought oh, it was going to be close, but it ended up being a blowout. Yeah. I mean, Maria Bita Salazar, the incumbent Republican, fifteen point victory. Um, but I want to talk about that race for a second because a lot of the way that that Republicans have courted. Latinos is by using socialism as a kind of a wedge thing. And in this case, the Democrat, Annette Tadeo tried to use that same attack against the Republican. Right. Uh, I mean, how did that work out? Well,
6: she and she and the the, the Florida Democratic Party tried to fight fire with fire because they remember uh, that uh, Salazar took the 27th uh, congressional seat back in 2020, largely by... Scapegoating everyone in her crosshairs as a, as a socialist, and they they thought that they would again fight fire with fire and and point that same ammunition at her, uh, but it doesn't really work when Democrats um, try that. It just doesn't it just doesn't resonate with with the electric here because what the Democrats don't realize uh, is, is that they need to be more specific about. When they're making that accusation, they just can't say, well, Maria Elvira is a socialist because she once interviewed uh, Fidel Castro. I mean, that, that's, a, that's absurd. But I think if they were smarter about that strategy, they could have found ways to point out, for example, that Ron DeSantis's assault on home rule uh, in, in Florida is very reminiscent of what Hugo Chavez did back in Venezuela. I mean, something that you've often, you know, looked at in in your blog, the Tallahassee takeover, for example, I think if the Democrats had been smarter about turning the tables, that socialista table on the Republicans. It it could have been more effective.
5: And and Danny, can I chime in a little bit?
6: Uh, yes, quickly, please.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to say that the red wave in Palm Beach County also brought a massive upset uh, when County Mayor Robert Weinroth, a Democrat, was defeated by Republican newcomer Marcy Woodward. And so you're seeing uh, two Republicans grab two county seats in Palm Beach County. Um, and, and also a longtime House Representative Louis Frankel, a Democrat, won her re-election by just 10 percentage points. So I just wanted to add that extra layer of uncertainty in Palm Beach County for the Democrats.
0: Well, I, I want to go to a caller quickly. Um, we, we have Michael calling. Um... Michael, thanks for calling. You're on the line.
4: Uh, Yes, hello. Um, I speak often at the school board here in Broward County, and one thing that Broward did that made a big difference, I think, is we didn't ignore the elephant in the room. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. And the big issue was we here in Florida lost 40,000 grandparents. It was just announced a week ago by Woodward he had Trump tapes where it basically says that there was a grandparent genocide that occurred, and it was due to Trump and DeSantis and Azar, and I can't think of the
0: news. And, the and, guys and COVID is whats is what we're talking yes. about. Yeah.
4: And it's, I mean, they basically used kids as smallpox blankets, and they actually are on tape. I heard them myself, uh, DeSantis with Azar, and the other guy with, starts with a P actually saying you don't need to be a scientist or anything or you just need a dictionary. It's the literal definition of genocide when they were said they wanted to increase the disease in the population. And the way to do that is you have a certain number die off. And in the remainder of that, uh, the uh, herd immunity is increased because you culled the herd.
0: And um, thank you for your call, Michael, basically saying missed opportunity to not run against that for Democrats. Um, Wilkin, I do want to go to you because there was a pretty important thing that that happened in Palm Beach. The voters approved a, a two hundred million dollar bond to support affordable housing um, quickly. W- w- tell us about that measure. And, and what it, what does that mean for the future
5: <laughs> quickly? I, <laughs> I, I think it definitely deserves an, a segment on its own. Uh, so fifty five percent of voters approved this countywide property tax increase to help finance a workforce and affordable housing program that essentially aims to address the county's housing supply crisis. And 44 percent of people voted against it. But the hope, Danny, is to entice market developers to build 20,000 discounted for rent and for sale units over the next decade by allowing developers to bid for low interest loans out of this 200 million dollar pot And so uh, homeowners uh, such as myself uh, with a property that has a taxable value of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars would pay roughly fifteen to twenty dollars more per year.
0: So taxes are going to go up slightly, but I mean, do we have any idea of how many affordable homes could possibly be funded by this money?
5: Uh, not quite sure if it's enough uh, for supporters. For supporters, it's a starting point for critics. There's too much uncertainty. Uh, business groups such as the Housing Leadership Council of Palm Beach County have been sort of the driving force in shaping what the plan could look like. But there are still ongoing questions about how it will be implemented. I spoke to Ken Johnson. He's a real estate economist at Florida Atlantic University, and he acknowledged that we need more housing in Palm Beach County, uh, saying that the county will experience an increase in population of more than 12 percent in the next decade. But he has issues with how the program is going to be implemented in terms of annual operating costs, Danny, governmental oversight, and where to distribute those future properties. Uh, That hasn't been really fleshed out by political and business leaders uh, who are involved. And more importantly, Ken Johnson said the math for the well-intentioned housing plan doesn't really make sense, pointing out how the county's workforce housing program uh, that was already in place was undercut in the past. So, for example, he pointed out that just over a thousand units in 16 years were built with a hundred million dollar budget. This new housing plan that was approved by voters aims to build 18 times the number of units with just double the funding. So a lot of uncertainty here. A thousand
0: something units for a hundred million dollars. So. (laughs) <laughs>
5: Versus 18 times the number of units would just double the funding. Uh, okay, that is a
0: conversation <laughs> for another time. But my my back of the envelope math is not adding up on that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's not adding up. And, and uh, Ken okay. also. Oh
5: yeah, you're you're, you're about <laughs> to end now.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we I think we're gonna have to 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 leave it there. Um, sure. We're we've been talking with Wilkin Brutus, Palm Beach County reporter for WLRN, and Tim Paget, America's editor with WLRN. Tim and Wilkin, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. And that'll do it for the South Florida Roundup this week. And it is Veterans Day. We want to say thank you to all the people who have bravely served this country. Um, The show was produced this week by Leslie Ovaya Atkinson. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Our interim managing editor is Katie Munoz. Jessica Bakeman is the senior editor of news. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. The vice president of radio and the show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Mares. Richard Ives was answering our phones today. I'm Danny Rivero. Thank you for calling and thank you for listening.
6: WLRN Public Media.